There are the touch tones signaling our Straight Talk segment. That's beginning now on Real Presence Live. Father James Gross and Father Jason Leffer joining you from our Grand Fork studios. The number to call is 877-795-0122. You can also leave questions for us on our Facebook page at uh, Real Presence Radio. So, Father Gross, you know, let's... let's I, I, I kind of... Maybe accuse me being a little controversial. I don't know, but let's let's because uh, our listeners they have passions about things, and and there's been some stuff here that's been just right in the the headlines, all, all secular media, Catholic media, all over the place. And uh, it, it's time wise for me, it's pretty appropriate. We're you know we're two weeks out from um, the installation of the the new bishop in Crookston, Minnesota, Bishop mm-hmm. uh, Bishop elect. No, he's bishop, but yeah, Bishop elect Andrew Cousins, I guess is how you yep, say it. Yeah, or bishop designate. Yeah, designate. Okay. And um, he had just given a retreat to uh, 36 of our brothers here in the Diocese of Fargo last week. Fantastic retreat director, just very in- inspired by his, his his faith. Well, he he also is the one who is, uh, he's the one who's the head of the Eucharistic renewal for the next three years that the, the bishops of the United States have said, we're going to do this three-year Eucharistic renewal. It's going to end and culminate in this, this huge um, Eucharistic Congress, in, and they've chose the site. It's going to be Indianapolis, uh, the Colt Stadium, this big, huge convention center there. They're, uh, so, they're, and, you know, Bishop Cousins, I was just like, yeah, he's the man to do it. I mean, he really has this incredible, beautiful faith that just shines through. He's just, just a great soul. Uh, really excited that he's going to be our neighboring bishop here in the Fargo Diocese. I think also for a lot of uh, Catholics, he's a generational sort of bridge because he's more in the Gen X kind of uh, time frame of generation. And so that's going to be something I think that speaks to people in a unique way. And the way. other thing, too, that really struck me about him is that uh, he you can tell he suffered. Like, he... He came in right with, uh, became bishop right as all the, you know, the victims of the sexual abuse and stuff were there. So he, he really has had to um, learn in fire, you know. As an auxiliary uh, as in an the auxiliary. Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis. Right, and that's when Archbishop Ninth was removed and so forth. So he really was kind of the, the face in all this where he, you know, to get in there with those who had suffered so deeply. So he himself has suffered incredibly in his eight years of being being a bishop already. Um, and, and so anyway, th- then which Eucharist is about, right? Well, well, here we are. We're, everything is so political these days, right? I mean, everything's like split right down the middle. Fifty it, anywhere you go right now, it's there's. It's hard to see unity because everything is split right down the middle, and people are very impassioned on both sides of every issue. I mean, we, we could talk about, I don't know, fishing for guppies, and it's going to be split down the middle. I mean, 50 Leave 50. the guppies alone! <laughs> you know, no. <laughs> but, um, you know, so here, so just the, all of our bishops are, are supposed to be, all the U.S. bishops, they're in Baltimore right now, and they've been... Since, since the annual plenary session, it's the first time that there's been an in-person event of the USCCB since the pandemic yeah. began. And, and you know, they've been working on this document now for quite a while, and they covered across the election. And, of course, we've got, you know, a Catholic president, uh, Speaker president, of the House, Speaker of the House, so forth. And, and it's been really kind of in our faces with our from the secular media about our, our faith and, and our, our Catholic folks who are in charge of politics. And, and the politicians themselves have made a big deal out of, hey, I'm a faithful Catholic, you know, receiving Holy Communion, um, but at the same time uh, promoting, you know, abortion 
on on every level, you know, just at at the yeah. demands and holding so forth. positions that would disqualify <laughs> them, you might say, right. from and, being and, in full communion. And with there's the clear teaching in the church and canon law and other places that would say this, you know, you you should not be receiving communion in these states. Where so there, there's all this pressure on the bishops, like somehow the bishops. Um, are responsible for this they they should be making stronger statements or they should be what say policing the sacraments but yeah. i don't know how, what language you want to use right swinging a captain caveman club you it's might some, say okay and, and then more that, activistic sort and of then uh, and so then again yeah. this gets divided because uh, some bishops feel very strongly like hey it's 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 in the conscience of the person receiving we can't we can't judge people's conscience or whatever and uh, and, and others are, are saying well, well no no this is, is grave public knowledge it's causing grave public scandal and so there was all this pressure on the bishops to write this document and somehow including that document you know, to, to stress that if you are in a state of grave sin, you should not be receiving communion, and here's what the consequences are, what, what have you, okay? Mm -hmm. So some of the bishops are very strong, and they said, well, wait a minute, it's, a, it, it's already clear in the teachings of the church. We don't need to rewrite something that's already written. Um, and others were like, no, we, we really do, as a reminder, we need to put that in there so that it becomes known to the people. And then it's it's political because people are like, well, if the bishops do this, then they're, then they're saying they're against uh, Joe Biden. And if they don't say it, then they, it says that they're for Joe Biden. Well, what, what the bishops chose to do is to kind of like take a step back and say, you know, who are we? We're the teachers of the faith. And uh, they put together the, this document that focuses on uh, teaching of what the Eucharist is, the real presence of Jesus. And then they've adopted a three-year uh, plan here. Uh, to cover the whole United States and Eucharistic renewal, uh, Eucharistic renewal of devotion, and it's supposed to culminate in uh, this, you know, National Eucharistic Congress that's going to be centered in Indianapolis in three years from now. And, uh, you know, Bishop Cousins, he gave us an address on, on the retreat about, you know, what's behind it, and, and, and again, he inspired me, his, his beautiful faith in the Eucharist and, and how important this is for us to really, you know, pound the pavement and get out there in the streets and with our people. And, and to, to develop devotion at the local level kind of a thing. Right. Well, okay, so here we are this morning. I mean, this is all brewing. There's so much more, but this is brewing, and it would be great, to, and I'm, I'm sure our listeners feel very strongly, you know, one way or the other about things like this, and, and not so much to solve anything, but it would, it would just be good to hear from our, our listeners out there. How, how is this affecting them? How, I mean, how do they feel about the bishops? Are they supporting the bishops? Are they upset with the bishops? Or, you know, and, yeah, and what then, are they counting on or hoping right. on hearing from meetings such as this? Because it comes down to you and I as pastors. Then they're going to feel the same way about us. Like you know, are they right? Are, are we doing a good job as of pastoring our people and communicating the issues and walking with people on whether whatever aisle side of the aisle that you're on right. and how how do we bring about unity in these times of what mm -hmm. feels like a such great division so yes indeed so that number again is 877-795-0122 we are looking forward to hearing from you on that topic or any other that may have been stoked by what we've been mentioning in the last couple of minutes we do have a question that was submitted by someone uh currently not on the phone terry k from north dakota would like to know what book or books are available that would include the letters of St. Teresa's family? And I think part of what fuels this is that there are certain devotionals, I can speak to Magnificat for sure, that contain as reflections occasionally either texts of letters that uh, St. Therese the Little Flower had written to family members or perhaps her mom uh, had written to um, you know her husband and uh, Saint uh, Zelie Martin uh, or others uh, other siblings 
Um, so um, I was doing a little bit of research here. There is an actual book called Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux, which was uh, published about 40 years ago. Um, there is an English edition translated from the French, which for most of us would be very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, there are a number of those things that are that are out that have been published. I would think specifically since the recent canonization of Therese's parents, there's been more uh, literature that's come out with some of their writings that are extant. I, I know one, uh, um, just if you go to the website for Ignatius Press, I know okay. they've had a couple recent, uh, and it might even be this very title that was translated, I know the person who translated it into English, and we actually uh, interviewed her on the radio. Yes, so, yes indeed, okay. And, and so that, uh, if you check out uh, Ignatius Press website, or okay. do kind of a general search online. Right, that would be Ignatius.org, I believe. Yep, but okay. could you say the title again, Father Gross? Yes, or? Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux, and uh, there's it says Volume 1, so that leads me to believe that if there isn't a Volume 2, that there may be one forthcoming. So this is, I would presume, a uh, large project that's going on in terms of going through and, and it seems even more voluminous given the fact that she died at the young age of 24, the, the various writings and correspondence, because it's not just a matter of um, uh, the, the, um, the, the, the spiritual nuggets and the wisdom, but just, uh, you know, the, the example that she gives and that, you know, she's dealing with, uh, you know, hardships of lots of different ways and, uh, you know, has a, has a way of looking at life that uh, is going to be eternally inspiring. No, um... Yeah, isn't it interesting how, you know, we think somebody of no account or the profound effect she's had, but even like her, her diary, you think, well, what, what's a diary of the a The story girl? of a soul. Yeah, what's, what's a, a diary going to affect her? But how God has used her simple writings yeah. to mm -hmm. touch every people, every nationality, every language right. across the world. Yeah. Right, not only having been canonized just a couple of short decades after her death, but being named as a cloistered, contemplative Carmelite sister, patroness of the missions. And a doctor. And yeah, a, right. And her right. relics are floating around the whole world, you know, traveling to mm -hmm. every, every place. Yeah, there's something very powerful that speaks to her, um, and uh, that speaks to her witness that people have been able to identify in such a direct way. Okay, so here's, here's a question that's come in from Marianne from Dickinson. Okay. okay. So I'll throw it out there and we'll see what we can do with this one. Okay. Uh, so the question is, um, Father, you know the story of how God knocked St. Paul off of his horse for persecuting the Christians. Uh, why do you think that God isn't actively knocking people off their high horse these days who persecute Christians or are for abortion in such a public way? Mm -hmm. Why isn't there more of like a, a direct intervention, maybe like a, you know, deus ex machina <laughs> coming into the world and, and thwarting things in, in a direct way? You know, it's one of the great mysteries of the Christian life is how unwilling the Lord is to, um, uh, you know, to, to destroy one's choices, even if they are against what is best for us. That, you know, somebody who is condemned, let's say, is condemned, not just because, you know, God is vengeful and is looking for somebody to just let him have it, but it, he's ratifying the choices of somebody who would rather live completely apart from him, even with the misery that that involves, than to, 
you know, th- then to return to them. So, I mean, there, there is a part of us that wishes that, you know, the, um, the, 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 that the will of God, you know, this, um, you know, antecedent will of God that all be saved and come to knowledge of the truth be manifested more clearly through uh, events where people are like, well, there's no other explanation for why so-and-so is now behaving differently or has been chastened, you know, in their, in their given way you of know, life. It is such a mystery why God allows us to wallow in our sins and our failures and our, our evil we inflict on one another. And why doesn't he, why doesn't he a good parent come down here and clean stuff up, you know? But um, I, it strikes me too that there's, there's also a second element to what God is doing there with St. Paul and knocking off the horse. So, I mean, if we're just looking at it, like somehow, you know, he came in and he's, he's disciplining him or something because he was persecuting the Christians. But there's, some, there's a greater reality that's going on there, which is St. Paul was God's chosen man from the beginning. Like he, he chose him, like even as a Jew, to be, and he took the zeal and redirected it. So there, and remember the emphasis is on the, the conversion of St. Paul, that God's calling him, and, and, and St. Paul acknowledges like everything that he had done before, that now in Christ Jesus, it works for the good of, of those who believe, right? So, um, so the, the emphasis there is, is on conversion. It isn't just knocking him off his high horse or kind of thing, but it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, God created St. Paul with the passions that he was, and he was using those, what he saw as just and right, to persecute the Christians. And then he has this 180-degree shift in his thinking and understanding through the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And now that, that same zeal is used for building up the church. The part of the story I love about that, after he is baptized, when uh, Ananias goes to meet with him and he begins proclaiming the name of Jesus in Damascus, suddenly it seems like everybody is his enemy. Not only the Jews who, you know, were on his side when he was going to persecute the Christians, but anybody who has a problem with Christianity, like the representatives of the Roman Empire, and fellow Christians who are like, wait a minute, this guy has a bad reputation. We know what he was up to and we can't trust him. So think about how lonesome some that moment must have been for him and that they have to smuggle him out of the city out in a basket you know lowered down from the city wall or else you know he's going to lose his hide you know and and all of the things that he continued to have to sacrifice you know, gk chesterton has a saying on that he's, he says if you're being persecuted from both sides there's probably a good chance that you're right where you're supposed to be yeah you know, mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of a thing but but yeah there there is that um you know, so kind of back to the, the right. caller's question was, is it possible for some, like a Hitler to be converted and to go from being evil and destroying humanity to then becoming the, a, a great savior-like figure who saves humanity? You know, and, and I mean, my short answer to that is yes. That right. God is calling each one of us daily right. to, to be converted. Or to, even Judas Iscariot the day before Holy Thursday, you know, to uh, repent of what he's planning to do. R- right. And, mm-hmm. I, and I guess I'm looking at it more so for after the fact, like w- once we fall into sin. Like I had a great conversation with kids last night at Faith Formation about the, the saints. We're talking about Blessed Carlo Acutis. And then, then uh, we... Uh, who, oh, who I think passed away as a teenager, right, Italian. And, and compliment with our sister Clara, who's now this, you know, all or nothing. It's this video that's going around the YouTube sister uh, down in Ecuador who was killed in this um, earthquake about, you know, asking the kids, like, hey, do you think she's a saint? Well, she had lived this really kind of immoral life as a teenager before, you know, so like, and they're all like, well, yeah, she could be a saint. Well, well hold on a minute. Look at, look at all, the, all the sins that she had committed or whatever. And, and they're really getting in touch with that whole concept of conversion and right. taking the evil wickedness we've done and, and, and it, 
allowing Christ to flip it over for the mm-hmm. good then and yeah. passion for loving right. people and sa- making a sacrifice of your life. Yeah, the, the, the language that Psalm 51, for example, uses, which we pray at morning prayer and Fridays, you know, about uh, wash me from my iniquity and, and, and things like that. The sins of my youth. Yes, yes. And, uh, you know, that the, the detergent, you might say, of the Lord's <laughs> mercy is always stronger than the, oh my uh, gosh. the, the grime. Father you know, Gross, so. let's, let's do that. Let's start. We can, I see a lot of money here. <laughs> the the, the <laughs> detergent. We're, we're gonna make some holy detergent here that you know, washes things clean. Not not right. just physically, but uh, <laughs> or maybe we have that already called the sacrament of confession. I'm not sure, but <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, no. When it comes to um, when it comes to that question, you know, I, I guess one last thing that I would want to say about this is that in the time in which we live, and I'm seeing it just in a vicarious way, but how various forms of technology have hold on people, not just young people, but even, you know, young adults where there's a constant external stimulation. They're they're watching something, they're producing content, they're gaming, they're things like that. There's just less and less silence to, um, you know, dive into themselves and what the Lord is trying to do in their relationship. So maybe there are bright lights and booming voices, but they're just burying their heads and their phones and their devices, and they're not even noticing them. Now, I, I don't want that to sound trite as though I'm just kind of, you know, excusing it, but I know if I were uh, a father of children, I would be very concerned about that, you know, just wh- whether it's, you know, the, the volume of screen time or what uh, we are prioritizing as a family. Well, I mean, because how are you going to hear the Holy Spirit if it's so, yeah. so loud? And the, it, yeah, anyway, you're stimulating <laughs> with all kinds of thoughts. But we should. <laughs> our, our case, uh, we still want to hear from you. There's time Absolutely. to hear from you. Eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two. Any of the controversial stuff we threw out, or anything at all that you have in your hearts, your minds. Right. Eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two. And yeah. Father Gross, you've mm-hmm. got yeah a couple uh, of different grab, things. Grab into your hat there and pull out one okay. of your topics. That you're yes. Uh, well, very. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to mention, in addition to this uh, plenary council of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, there's an important uh, biennial event that's happening from today through Saturday night, also in Indianapolis, NCYC, the National Catholic Youth Conference, which typically involves 20-some thousand participants, high school students, chaperones, speakers, etc. It's going to be considerably smaller, but they are back this year, and it's beginning this evening. Um, So ncyc.info is a place where a person can register virtually to watch some of these uh, keynote sessions. Some of the very best that the church has to offer with regard to uh, speakers, performers. Can you uh, give us some of the list i don't know if you still have yeah it yeah there, um, so the people I, no, I, I don't have it up anymore but um father leo padalinghug is going to be one of the main presenters um the archbishop of san antonio texas uh several it's other Thomas, things yeah. yeah and and so they in, in that session they incorporate an actual eucharistic holy hour in lucas oil stadium with the thousands of people assembled and the the, the silence and the reverence in that setting and i've been privileged to be at several different ncyc's in the past is uh something that touches people profoundly. And, and so kind of uh, jumping off, yeah. that is mm-hmm. also right from, again, this is the Diocese of Fargo. We're broadcasting from the Diocese of Fargo, but not to exclude anybody. But within our diocese, we're right to make parents aware there are opportunities now to sign up for Steubenville Conference that was opened up here. Mm-hmm. The other day it's going to happen in July. It, again, it's kind of what you're talking about here. Yeah. Powerful, powerful, life-changing experience for yeah, kids. Yeah, a weekend session. And it, now is it the one in St. Paul or in Rochester? Well, it's it, both. Okay. St. Paul, Rochester. Well, the one from the diocese, sorry. St. Paul. Mm-hmm. But, but there's an additional 
additional right. weekend offer. And also offer. Denver. Also yes. Denver. So, because I was talking to some of my family. Because our right. listing area is so wide now. And, and um, some of my family are saying, well, you know, the one in St. Paul is more, but they're looking good. They're to closer Denver. to Denver than right. to the cities. You know, so, and then also is the pro life trip in January. That's open too for, again, the powerful experience of not just the youth, but. Any mm-hmm. one of us to go there and go through that experience of being yeah. politically. Now, I, I think the 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 actual date this year is it Friday the twenty first of January that uh, the uh, right. official events are yeah. happening on the national. And Mall. again, you okay. can you can check this out in the right. for those in diocese of Fargo, um, Fargo. Diocese.org. Yes. And it's right there to the sign up and all the information, the details. Right. And all the corresponding dioceses in our listening area that have similar events going on. I wanted to ask you about this because one of the um, optional memorials that is available today is of the dedication of the basilicas of St. Peter and St. Paul outside the walls. I've only had the opportunity to be in uh, the Eternal City once. I think you've been there more than that probably with pilgrimages and such. And I remember, you know, in years past, there would be some people, and I think particularly when it comes to, let's say, if November 9th falls on a Sunday, then the Feast of the Lateran Basilica takes place over the Sunday and take precedence over the Sunday in ordinary time. And they're like, what? what why? I mean, what, what's this all about? So why is it that, first of all, there are these four major basilicas in Rome. Why is it that the church prioritizes, let's say, the dedication of a church the way it does? What, what's going on You know, with Father that? Gross, you have a way of just stimulating me, getting me so excited here. Okay, so first <laughs> of all, I want to say on a personal note, I'm actually the pastor of St. Peter and Paul and Beck. North Dakota, and for my three parishes are Czech. Their heritage is generally Czech, either mm-hmm. um, um, you know Bohemian or Moravian from from the old country over right. here, kind of thing. And St. Peter and Paul in the Czech community is, is huge. They they generally have a, a parish dedicated to it or what have you. So even when I was down past in, in down in uh, Lidgewood, um, there is as well as a Czech community down there, and sure. St. Peter and Paul was prominent mm-hmm. down there, mm-hmm. uh, parish down there that I was, I was pastor was. Uh, of as, as well, so so it's personal to me. But then, on, on a more important universal level, is this that um, okay? If you look at creation, the very first three days of creation, and literally in the Hebrew language, God created temples. He created. It says he formed a temple of light and darkness. He formed a temple of the water above, the water below, and he formed a temple of the earth. So it it, it tells us at the heart the identity of the God that we know. He desires to be worshipped. He desires to be worshipped, and it's just written right into creation itself. He, d- he develops the temple first, and then he puts in the actual worship, and he wants to be worshipped. Okay, so we, we bring that home. Then, then we think of, like, even um, God saved us in and through the body. The body, the body of Christ, God takes on a body, which is the temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're baptized. We have the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our faith is incarnational. It happens in a particular time, a particular place, through physical and spiritual expressions of worshiping God. And so the the mother of God, Mary, she is the temple of God. We we honor her body, not just her spirit, but her body as well. Okay. So then our, our worship, okay, so November 9th, John Lateran, it, it, it houses the, the cathedral chair of the Archdiocese Peter, of Rome. It, yeah. And it's the site of, of, of authority. And, and it unites all of Christendom. We have a, a physical location, a thing that says we're all united. We have one spot of governance, and it brings us all together. The, the buck stops there. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's for the universal <coughs> church to say, yes, we, we have the privilege of actually having authority, the sign of authority, the symbol of authority, and we can point to the thing that unites us all. There it is. Yeah. Then we've got the, the temples of the bodies of St. Peter and Paul. Well, St. Peter um, 
you know, he died, and so the, the world's largest church is over the, the very tomb of St. Peter, which he then was the vicar of Christ, and he symbolizes that authority for the whole church. So the whole universal church is interested in that. And then, but you never do Peter alone. So he's Peter and Paul. You know, Peter's like the big ship, Paul's the speedboat who goes around, establishes a church. Where he was martyred, there's also this, this church. So here in the month of November, All Souls, we, we do John Lateran, November 9th, and then here we are, the day after the Feast of Leffer, North Dakota, St. Elizabeth the Hungry, by the way, we've got, <laughs> we've got the Feast of the Basilica of St. Peter and Paul saying, uh, again, the temple of worship, the temple of the body, and it unites universal mm -hmm. faith. Right. And now, re remember this and, and yeah. have great pride and joy in it. The one know? other thing that I wanted to say about that particular topic is that when you look at the Roman Missal or the Breviary, the comment of the dedication of a church comes before these all these other sections, you know, the apostles, the martyrs, even the Blessed Virgin Mary. So you might want to look at it this way. The church, capital C, is the primordial sacrament, you might say. It is the sign of God's presence presence among us and his salvation. It is out of that foundation that everything else flows. The um, pro proclamation of the word of God, the celebration of sacraments, whatever else that we do. So the dedication of these basilicas kind of reminds us of that theological fact as well. Yes, absolutely. We have one more uh, question. I guess it's kind of a feedback to what we said at the beginning of this segment here uh, from Phil, uh, leaving this statement on Facebook. He's talking about the debate and the discussion going on uh, with regard to Catholic politicians publicly supporting and promoting abortions here and around the globe and uh, seemingly receiving communion sacrilegiously. So maybe we can just kind of put a bow on that yeah, in the last yeah. couple of minutes and, and our thoughts about this. You know, one of the things I'll, I'll come at, you know, to, to kind of bring this in perspective, so, or one element of it, the bishops are all united right now and so forth, but the thing is, the conference that they're in actually has no legislative authority, or it has very limited legislative authority, mm -hmm. put it that way. So mm -hmm. it, it's not like if, if they just put together a, a document in, in Baltimore today and said, decree it, see, the, the church is local. So every bishop is equal to St. Peter in authority, and every bishop is responsible for his territory. So. It, they really can't, as a body, pass some kind of law. It, it yeah. comes down to the personal shepherd, the personal relationship with the bishop and his people. So really, these issues, they need to be worked out in a personal manner, in a, in a physical location. So, you know, if, if there was some um, in, infamous uh, politician in the Fargo Diocese, that would yeah. come down on the shoulders of Bishop Folda to address that in a pastoral way, one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. with that person, working right. it out. And and the thing, it, it changes when there's when it's public scandal, because everybody's there. So then, something can law even says, well, then there needs to be a public response to mm -hmm. the scandal. And there, yeah. you know, for the sake of the little ones, something really does need to be done, in, in my humble opinion. But mm -hmm. anyway. and, and, and the thing of it is, is that, yes, with the uh, authority that the individual bishops have, it just so happens, especially with the time in which we live, that with social media, there are some of these bishops that can be, at least in the terms of certain people who criticize them, you know, firebrands, and they, you know, tend to be outspoken or, you know, kind of squeaky wheels when it comes to this. And one must not conclude that just because a particular bishop is not that exact way that they don't have the, the best interests of the people of God at heart. You know, it, it can be easy to simplify this and say, oh, the guy whose uh, Twitter is blowing up all the time about saying this and that, you know, those are the only, you know, those are the only faithful ones. And I, and I think, you know, it, it's a both and kind of a thing. It, it isn't just addressing the, the particular politician, but it's, it's also taking the office of being teacher, right. teaching very clearly, very clearly, office of prophet, proclaiming right and wrong in a big way. So it's, it's like we, the little ones need our bishops to embrace their 
office and actually declare, teach, be prophetic, be kingly, right. um, teach, govern, and sanctify. sanctify. Yep. And, and then, then we also we plead with them to you know, well then, please do do something even if we don't know about it in a personal way with those particular right, situations. Right. So thanks to those who uh, chimed in and uh, contributed their questions for this uh, this uh, edition's uh, Straight Talk segment. So we are just about to wrap up uh, programming for the first hour as we come back from the break. Is there more to Thanksgiving than turkey and football? Uh, we certainly hope that there is. We'll be discussing this and other issues next on Real Presence Live. Stay with us. Stay with us. 